0: Welcome to Conscious Executive Officer, the podcast where we explore the intersection of business and social impact. I am your host, Duygu Özen, and I am thrilled to have you here on this journey of conscious entrepreneurship. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. Kent, an experienced entrepreneur and business consultant, is here to share his wisdom on stakeholder engagement and its transformative power. Let's begin. It's a pleasure to welcome Kent to today's episode of Conscious Executive Officer. Kent, we've been eagerly anticipating this conversation, and as your expertise in building thriving stakeholder businesses brings a unique perspective to our show, we can't wait to delve into the strategies, insights, and success stories you have to share. And thank you for accepting our invitation, and let's start. Welcome again.
1: It's really great to be here. I'm looking forward to working with you and sharing with the audience. So it will be fun.
0: It will be. Thank you, Kent. Um, Let me start with my first question. And stakeholder capitalism is a term that's been front and center for a few years now. And can you tell us exactly what it means?
1: Sure. Well, one of the things about stakeholder capitalism is there's actually no real defined definition. And as and I will give one, um, but it's a, it's a little bit broad in nature um, and in the press. It's certainly a journey. It's not a state that a company tries to achieve. So we measure success in stakeholder capitalism um, on the journey of progress. So if a company is kind of staying where they're at, um, they're certainly not on the journey. So let me give a try to how I like to define stakeholder capitalism. It's a stakeholder oriented approach, and it's a role of business to help build socially and environmentally sustainable world. You know, I would say that this has become an imperative today um, due to all the pressures from various stakeholders, not just our employees in customers, but also we're starting to see it more in our supply chains with our vendors, our suppliers, as well as the environment and um, our um, uh, certainly um, other aspects with regard to perhaps shareholders. So there is various different stakeholders. Sometimes we even see pressures from media to begin to think about this shared value. When we have this shared value, we build stronger, more resilient companies definitely higher profitable value chains that help companies uh, meet the challenges that we're all facing today, whether it be here in North America, where I'm seated, or around the globe. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of the things let me just if i could take a step back because it occurs to me i frequently talk about stakeholders and i mention them but i think it's worth mentioning just a little bit more so that everybody kind of clues in because we have an old um, kind of paradigm around stakeholders we oftentimes think of it in terms of project management in this case here we're talking about optimizing the value of customers employees suppliers community it doesn't have to be the big broad society could be community, an aspect of community, our environment, and our shareholders, our investors. So when we optimize the value for all of them, we're continuously elevating humanity. We're solving some worthy challenges that are going on for us that are, for many of us, um, are real serious. We'd like to see them resolved.
0: Amazing. And what are the, uh, some of the benefits of that businesses may experience by adopting a, so called a capitalism approach?
1: Yeah. So um, so as I kind of talk about this one here, one of the things that kind of comes to mind is the whole aspect of purpose um, and, and, and then going right into the value, right? Because I know purpose for you and purpose-driven companies is really, really near and dear to your heart. And the true purpose of a corporation is to create the value for all its stakeholders. I think everybody's catching on to that now. And one of the things I like to say, a stakeholder business creates the bridge to turn turn purpose into prosperity. It's not just a nice little saying, that's actually what we're talking about. So when we think of companies like um, Patagonia, for example, most everybody knows Patagonia pretty well. Their purpose is protecting the environment. And then when we look at Big Bigby Coffee, which is one of the largest franchises, and we have a lot to report on them, at another time, they're doing some amazing things with their um, suppliers um, in Farm Direct in ways we've never seen before. But their purpose is supporting employees in living a life that they love. Now, some people would say, well, these sound pretty soft in some sense. Well, they're not at all. Because when we see these types of purposes coming to life, life Like um, even in um, Interface, which was, um, you know, 1994. One of the earliest cases of higher purpose of purpose coming to life was when Ray Anderson said, I need to be doing something about our environmental message. And he read in Paul Hawkins' book, The Ecology of Commerce, um, that kind of inspired him, right? And um, I know that, you know, th- this is kind of like something I just have to say right now, but literally at this moment, almost to this hour, I have to check, I may be off a little bit, but at this moment. The film Beyond Zero, which was um, written and um, directed by my co-founder, is being screened at the Cannes Film Festival right now. And it's all about interface. So when we talk about purpose, going back to 1994, He set a purpose back then to become a restorative company. And they're the number one company on planet Earth today in terms of sustainability. It's an amazing story. Um, And so, you know, definitely worth watching in the Beyond Zero film. So you kind of asked a little bit more about the benefits, and I felt that I needed to give a little bit of background on the linkage with stakeholders and how important purpose is. But before I go there, maybe to give a little bit of the business case and the benefits, did you have any other questions or anything you wanted to ask me before I jump into that?
0: Um, no, actually, there are many reflections you shared, uh, these stories, you know, because I am right now reading the Charles Einstein books and everything is connected to each other, even the, in the organizations, our teams, stakeholders, our investors, and we are not separating to anything. We are all under that um, roof, which is called organization. And this is amazing. Let's continue.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Well, one of the things oftentimes CEOs wanna own, I've been a serial entrepreneur for my entire life, and um, I am not, I'm, I'm still pretty young, but I'm not that young. And so lots of different experiences, mostly good, some a little bit more challenging than others. But one of the things still, I think as entrepreneurs, as CEOs, we're very interested in capitalism. I am too. And so from the standpoint of this business case, one of the things that came out in Firms of Endearment, um, the co-founders of that book uh, did some research. And one of the things they discovered is that um, purpose-driven companies, S P. and specifically purpose-driven companies, outperformed their traditional peers 14 to one times. Wow. One of the reasons, there are many, many reasons. When we talk about purpose here also, as you well know, we're not talking about purpose that's um, very shallow. We're talking about solving a real problem that causes the employees to connect and find this deep meaning to want to do the real work. So we see employee engagement go way way up we see customer loyalty just think of patagonia you know they they do marketing right and you know, you you probably keep an eye on Patagonia Podcast. from a marketing perspective, you know, completely ethical marketing. And I haven't looked at their latest spend on marketing. I have in years past, um, but it's actually relatively small in comparison to their peers in the industry. And that's because the brand loyalty is just so insanely high. And they enjoy, like purpose-driven companies, it's really long-term financial success. So when we're talking about uh, stakeholder capitalism companies, you know, they weather really, really well in changing market conditions, um, pandemic included. Most companies that were in the game for, we call it as a sustainable business model. They are not making short-term decisions just to create profits today, but they're looking at the long-term, they're solving worthy problems are creating lasting, lasting value. And that's why they become much more adaptable um, and much more resilient. So, kind of getting a little bit more to the benefits. Let me pause because, you know, I, one of the things I like to do is if you've got any questions to um, insert before I start talking about specific benefits.
0: Yeah, amazing. I actually I have many questions. Um, and you know, we are talking about purpose-driven business right now. I am giving the consultation about the conscious marketing to the companies because I am on the way to transform the marketing with more purpose and more human-centric, like Patongoya um but at the same time i am seeing that some some concerns from the leaders you know what will happen to profit or what if we lose the revenue if you focus the purpose how we are handling this challenge
1: yeah um well great case is you know going back to ray anderson so some of the things that we learned is, you know, don't take your eye off from your purpose. And it has to be led from the top. It is very, very critical. And when we talk about alignment of employees to purpose, we're not talking about the typical alignment where we look at, you know, like balance scorecard and we're looking at all these metrics and we got to hit these metrics. We look at them in a much broader point of view. We have to hit financial metrics, but we also need to hit other pros- metrics of prosperity. So in that, it's really, really important to continuously over time, help everybody understand where you're going and to show the incremental improvement that's being made. I made a statement earlier, You know, um, stakeholder capitalism or stakeholder orientation, whatever term we wanna use around it, isn't about a place that we arrive. It's a journey that we're on We will continue to learn, we continue to evolve, and we continue to innovate. The more that we're doing that and the more kinds of experiences that begin to show up where we're making a positive difference, it really brings our non-believers to believers. The impossible becomes possible. We oftentimes here in business, you know, break things down in bite-sized pieces our employees can understand. That's true. At the same time, if we don't have a large enough kind of um, purpose out there that everybody thinks is not realistic, it's not worthy of doing. So we have to look at how we work with that and help to create not just our employees to be in alignment, but all our stakeholders, of course, our investors, our shareholders, but our suppliers. And what are we doing to help our suppliers achieve their purpose should be a top priority for us, especially if we're dependent upon supply chain. Just like with employees, I was talking about talking with a colleague of mine uh, yesterday. And one of the things he's um, in the process of doing is rolling out a very significant personal development plan process. And um, it's still an SMB business, but it's on the larger side. And in that, it's so important to help employees achieve what they want to. When we look at the skills they want to achieve, we look at their dreams and their aspirations. Are we really helping them achieve what they want in life? Because it always comes back to the company. The key is to make sure that we do it in a way that's not, if we do this and we expect this back, let's find ways to elevate our employees and like Big B Coffee does to help them thrive in their life, to create a life that they love. And the more that they love that life, the greater benefits that um, are achieved. I don't have them in front of me and I really wish I had. Um, there was a recent study out and there are three questions, they kind of, but they kind of go like this. If the questions are not um, positive, then any one of them are not a yes. Then it means you're probably going to lose that employee or they become less interested in work. One of them is, do they actually feel meaning in the work that they're doing? Do they feel proud of where they work? And the, I know the third one is around growth. I don't remember how, it is, how it's worded, but it's essentially around growth. Are you seeing opportunities to grow within your organization, to grow as a person? And in, if all three of those are yes, you have a really, really rock solid um, employees uh, culture um, and relationship with that employee. When we begin to see that many employees, or just a few actually, it doesn't take many, so I shouldn't have used the word many, When we start seeing even a few employees not answering yes to all three of those, we have to wake up. There are only three questions that are one of the big telltales to increased employee engagement and retention. I have a difficult time, to be honest with you. I still use the words retention and attraction, but I have a difficult time with them because it sounds like I own them. And believe me, my experience with employees, if I own them, (laughs) <laughs> then what I'm doing is I'm controlling and I'm not going to get the brilliance out of them and the kind of new creation of value and innovation. And that's what companies I've worked with, which has been hundreds, probably truth really, I know for a fact is a few thousand now, um, would um, you know, have discovered the same thing. And some of those clients I worked on early on before I started doing this work and I moved into it, it was still a long time ago actually decided it wasn't for them. And we ultimately, they didn't want to get rid of me right away, that wasn't the point. But it became clear that there probably was going to be a termination of arrangement in our working, even if it lasted five, eight, 10 years, it was going to peter out because we were no longer uh, truly aligned. so some of the other benefits, just you know, I mentioned them: customer loyalty. Um, when we talk about talent acquisition, if we want to use that terminology, still so profoundly used today, I like to think of Grayson Bakery. They're in New York, um, and there's a lot about Grayson Bakery. There's an easy case study to find. Um, in short, um, one of the things that they do in the making of brownies is many companies will see that brownies are what this company is about and by the way almost every year i get a gift to their brownies they are amazing there is nothing lacking with these brownies <laughs> but what they do is they hire people simply so they can make more brownies right they want to be making brownies brownies are the formula in a sense but the real secret behind it all is bringing in more and more workers And they have a process in which all the workers that come into handling any aspect of production, the baking, the distribution, whatever it may be, they show up at the door and they're essentially hired. Now, they can't hire them all. But what I want to point out is in their case, like more and more companies have found out, let's take a workforce that's having a really hard time getting a job. Let's bring them in. Let's train them. Let's help elevate them and start correcting some of the challenges that we're having in our communities. And so it's an extraordinary experience. The more people they hire, the more brownies they get to produce, the more brownies they produce, the more people they can hire. And it just goes on and on. So what they really wanna do is just to be hiring people nonstop. And they pretty much do. Um, rapid innovation, I've mentioned that one, um, is, is really big in a stakeholder business. We see a lot of, and, and if we break that down, creation of new value, when we allow employees to, to actually make a mistake, to experiment, they can't bet the dice, but give them the opportunity to be willing and safe to take these risks, innovation goes up, a safe, trust, and caring culture. When I speak of caring, especially even today, but in the past, people's definition of caring is very different than mine. Caring, the easiest way for me to describe it is I care about that person as a human, irrelevant to their performance. I am going to treat them with care, even if they're not performing well. Now, can I keep non-performers on the team? No, how I interact with non, how I interact with a, someone not performing well, how we coach them, how we do these things, to really help them determine, is there really an opportunity? Maybe we failed and it's not just them. So I'm very, um, you know, we don't we don't want to hold on to employees that are not performing. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we're treating people with the utmost care, that that's unconditional. And at the moment we lose our, um, I know the word I want to use, but we lose our ship. I'm going to use it. Um, The moment that we've lost a lot of trust and credibility and the caring goes down. And those two, I'd say trust and care, actually, amongst the highest in culture. And then, of course, leadership performance. And uh, one of the big jobs of leadership today is helping employees be connected to their work. Every manager, every leader needs to be spending their time to help identify where that connection is coming from.
0: Yes, this is, this is really amazing to listen to all that benefits and example of the companies. Um, I think we are talking about mostly the collective consciousness. We are not self-centered anymore. We are collective. Yeah. We have a collective consciousness with our teams, with our stakeholders, customers. And this is really nice to see this paradigm shift per department of the organizations because I am seeing the business or companies like a container to spread love and this is not a soft uh, skill section this is what we need to interact with the people with our employees thank you kent um my other question is um right now as you know i am working with the companies to creating with their purpose and implementing into their marketing and we are looking for the sustainable development cause Uh, goals you know these united nations they defined the 17 goals um, to reach Mm -hmm. out to that uh, goals what do you think about it do you use the uh, sdgs with your works
1: Mm -hmm. sure well the sdgs are really really important they're a base you know the united nation Um, And all the work, I was actually not part of writing those. I have written a proclamation around one of them several years ago. And that was in doing that on the floor was a big excitement. It's an organization I belong to and I got to be one of the spokespersons. Um, Those, they're all really important. It's like ESG, right? You know, very important. Now, we can say a lot of these things are really getting beaten up in the press. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Um, There are some things that are being said about them that are actually accurate as well. It's not that it's all perfect. The notion, however, that I'd like to be able to point out because you kind of queued up something that's really important, I believe, for your audience and audiences to understand. Stakeholder capitalism, or let's just call it stakeholder business. Take the word capitalism out of it because those two words um, have gotten a little bit heated recently. Stakeholder business is really it's 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 an operating model. So most entrepreneurs love operating systems to help their leadership teams and their their entire team be able to do the work that needs to be done, have it organized, have some cadence, some rhythm and cadence around it all. You know, know that there's some really strong alignment. When we think about stakeholder business, what we're talking about is how to embed everything I just talked about and so much more right within the operating system. So when we look at CSR, which, you know, forget about describing all the acronyms. There's lots of things out there. The ESGs, um, the SDGs, you know, there's all these different things. They're all initiatives, great initiatives. And actually I complement them all. And I always suggest people lean into them. It's not about not leaning into them. There is a distinct difference though. In doing those items, they oftentimes tend to wane when things get difficult. Priorities shift. If you actually use a stakeholder approach, you're not gonna move off from it because it's very strong intention. It is extremely purpose-driven which stakeholder business and stakeholder capitalism as examples, even conscious capitalism are extremely purpose-driven organizations (laughs) and in in the application. So when you have that purpose and it's really solidified, I, I can then say the most strategic decision a company will ever make, a CEO will ever make and operate from is their purpose. When we know what our true north is, we're going to always honor that. In our own company, stakeholder business, one of the things we look at in our first value, we have a relatively short number of values, but the first one I'll share is that it's return to purpose. If we see ourselves talking about something and maybe it sounds really great, we always come back to return to purpose. Is it helping us achieve our purpose? You know, we even did that, you know, uh, quite. We do that on such a regular basis that even when the film opportunity and Beyond Zero was invited to be screened at Cannes Film Festival, we asked ourselves, if we do this, what does it need to look like? How does it help us achieve our purpose? I'm telling you, when you can just do that, it makes life so much easier. True. Um, so, True. Yeah.
0: And what is your advice for a CEO who is looking to expand the positive impact of their company beyond its current scope and but doesn't quite know where to start?
1: Yeah, well, the first, by the way, I also don't think these are necessarily linear. I suggest that they be looked at more like a mountain and that we can constantly be ratcheting up the mountain in four areas. And there are four primary areas. The first one is purpose, but I can say not all CEOs are interested in working with purpose at first, right? Some are and some are not. I know some are very interested. It's become a much more, an area of much greater interest, but working on that purpose and really defining it and stress testing it. If I was to say the one area that I'm about to describe, now there's a second one, but if I was to prioritize them, because usually it's where people start is on purpose, is that it is very difficult to do this work with internal resources only. There must be external experience in stress testing around them. I have seen such a big difference between trying to do it internally. It doesn't mean people are not highly talented internally. Understanding how to do purpose is very complicated. Um, so it's really important to find somebody, and there's lots of resources, not just our company, lots of resources. We want people to be doing this work. The um, the next thing is, um, Well, just to give everybody an idea of what our purpose is, it's to expand the game of business to build a world that works for everyone. So that's the purpose we always go back to. We have various domains around that and how we're accomplishing it. It isn't just the side from doing the work. We have our films, we have education and academic institutions around the world. We have lots of things going on to make this shift. Um, So I think that's the first one. The next one is is to create a stakeholder analysis engagement plan. First of all, identifying stakeholders isn't just the broad base of customers, and we don't take favorite customers, that's not what we're talking about. We start looking at customers in various different ways to understand which groups of customers do we have, generally not by product either, that actually doesn't serve us real well most of the time. We're simply looking at some attributes, I would oftentimes say the best way to do this is to actually slow down. It's kind of like taking a 30 second video and turning it into three minutes and now watch it and observe what you see. It's a little bit of like how we do a create a straight stakeholder analysis. We've got to know who those stakeholders are, who those sub- subgroups are, do the analysis you've got to be in conversation with the representatives of each of those subgroups and truly understand what their needs are, not their wants, what their actual needs are as an organization, not just from us, meaning as the one who's engaging them, but also what are their needs in a broader sense? Because if we choose our role to help them be successful, the collective, right? We choose in our role to do that, then it's really clear from a company point of view, how we're going to develop our engagement plan. So, the engagement plan should kind of be two way. What are we helping them with? What are they helping us with? By the way, it shouldn't be lower prices. That doesn't mean prices are always perfect. It shouldn't be, you know, all these things like give me, give me, give me. Um, one, um, ooh, ooh, um, Elaine Fisher Clothing, amazing, like a half a billion dollar company. I forget the like a proclamation type of thing that she set out there and signed. Um, They make sure that all their suppliers are paid what they need to pay so that their employees for all these raw materials are paid well enough. That's really, really important to them. By the way, Eileen Fisher does very well. That's why it's a very, very solid brand. So when we look at these things, we're looking at ways to really create this robust engagement plan with each of our stakeholders and the subgroups within those to create more value. Now, we begin to look at cultivate um, team alignment and the buy-in. Um, and, and that's obviously, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but it's really important. Um, not as obvious as it sounds, though, in its practice. Um, we could we could literally spend hours on most of these subjects, but that's going to be very, very important. And it must start at the leadership level first. There's sometimes people internally, we'll call them entrepreneurs and they' or they're kind of like our change makers that can help us. Sometimes we'll see a change maker that's not at the senior leadership team, but certainly has been voicing this. Oh boy, we want to bring them on fast. Have them be a part of helping us. And when we look at our strategy beyond our purpose, we want to be engaging these stakeholders in helping us develop strategy. Um, Very um, helpful and one of the ways in which we can grow our top line, and by the way, decrease our expenses because some of our expenses will go away away. and in other cases, we're going to apply some more money in other places where we're going to get a better return on investment. And then the last one, which I mentioned two areas where a lot of people need help. Um, I have are my experience. We have people who want help with all this, but is continuously measure and improve. The thing is is we've been so um, programmed, by the way, my original background is accounting. That's what I graduated from school and then came right out of it and also double majored really by accident in marketing. And so I I used my accounting background as an entrepreneur all these years, but the truth be known, I became an entrepreneur at such a young age that I, and I I was really like just fueled by Milton Friedman early on, even though my dad wasn't, you know, I I just sort of, you know, drank his Kool-Aid for a while. And so everything became very metric driven. Somebody today, I asked them what their purpose is and they said to serve 500 customers. Well, that's not a purpose, right? You know, what? what's around, or how are you going to measure your purpose? Serve 500 customers. It's not that it's bad. And I simply complimented them because it's the place to begin, but that's not truly how we're going to measure success with purpose. Because as a CEO, I'm going to show up and I look at my purpose every day or co-founder in my case, I'm looking at purpose every day. What am I doing today to move the needle on purpose? Because if I'm not moving the needle on purpose, I'm not doing my job. By the way, I believe that's what every CEO needs to be paying Considerable attention to. So, this aspect of continuously measuring and improving, we want to start looking at, and you know, I should have all these memorized. I'm going to look at them in a moment. I always forget, like, even our own list of six collaborative relationships is a huge one. How we're really collaborating with these stakeholders, helping people thrive in their life, finding meaning. Do they get an opportunity to contribute? Does every employee truly have a voice, and is their voice heard? Are we actually sharing with every employee information that's going to help them do their job better, be more connected to the purpose, see how we're performing against our purpose statement. Inclusion and equity, you know that's obviously a really, really big topic right now, but helping people realize their full potential is critical. Financial prosperity, we all want financial prosperity. How can we operate our companies in ways in which we can expand financial uh, prosperity to all of our stakeholders? I gave some examples earlier. You know, Eileen Fisher's company chooses to make sure that their suppliers are paid well enough so that their employees are paid better. Somebody would say, well, that's taking away from my profits. Yeah. You might want to talk more with Eileen Fisher and find out in the long run, what does this look like? Why is she now one of the most sustainable, um, brands in terms of not just the uh, product itself in the yarns and the different things that are used, but also the embodied carbon is considerably lower. They're looking at the entire supply chain, environmental prosperity, and then we've talked a lot about higher purpose. So I'm not, you know, those are some of the things that we wanna continuously measure and improve. And if somebody asked me, you know, like where, like where can I really start measuring these two things? there's, There's several tools. One, I would look to B-Labs and I'd look to their impact assessment. Now, their impact assessment is a very quantitative assessment. It's a great assessment, highly recommended, it, but it needs to be matched up with the stakeholderscore.com. I just spoke a stakeholder score, by the way. Those are the six items I kind of went through collaborative relationships. That's going to give us the qualitative. What is it that our stakeholders, how are they rating us on? all these different areas in our business. When we can take that information and put it together, the purpose from it is really to be a vital sign. It's not a pass or a fail. It's a vital sign to give us an indication. But let's put it this way. If you use B-Labs alone, you could get a really high score in an area, but if you didn't ask your stakeholders those same questions, they may rate it very low. And what you may end up doing is actually um, not creating a sustainable enterprise as a result. Again, lots of examples for another time, but it's really important to know you want to look at quantitative and qualitative, the B-Labs impact assessment, as well as the stakeholder score. Stakeholder score is related to our company. It's a separate URL, but it's a great one, stakeholder score.com.
0: This is sounds amazing. And and as an entrepreneur, you know, I met so many investors my last years. And we were talking about our financial projections, all that numbers. But today, when I look to that um, numbers, the most important part, actually, how we are impactful for the world. And there are ways to make sure to that um, impactful way. This is really amazing. Um my last question is what's what are your recommendations suggestions for entrepreneurs to know the stakeholder businesses
1: Um I didn't catch the last part what is your recommendation for
0: entrepreneurs and for, how for can we Yes yes yeah. definitely
1: Well um you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a plug, but I can share with you one of the biggest challenges that people have in moving in this direction, or they're already what we would call an, an engaged stakeholder business. Um, community in this case is really, really big. Um, mm. Being in a community of others. Who are choosing to be on the same path who are walking the same doesn't mean they're doing the same exact things but they're walking on this path together is extraordinary um we have in soft launch right now through invitation it is on our website have to hunt and peck a little bit um but it we're launching what's known as stakeholder business Mm -hmm. um society and the society's purpose um, is to bring community of those who are on this journey. And it isn't just bringing community, we have events um, that are held three to four times a year. When we bring in speakers for these events, it would be like Michael McFall, co-CEO, um, co-founder of Big B Coffee, where I don't wanna mention all the names, that's a name. We're bringing very likely the CEO of Interface might be at a retreat. These are the kinds of people that we bring into retreats. What we're looking to do, it's not just a speaker. Think of them very much as they are, um, it's like a master class in person um, in a way in which people can then develop their own roadmap, look for the kinds of information that they're looking for, um, from their peers and from these amazing people that are in the room to help support them. We have our masterminds that we're launching, um, as well as they're all assigned a guide and the guide is highly, highly versed in this. I'm I'm one of the guides right now. Um, and, and there's much more, um, but that's something, I'll say that the one thing that's most missing based on CEOs who are in this journey, is this Mm -hmm. really cohesive um, community of other CEOs, of other entrepreneurs and CEOs. Um, And so we have that at Stakeholder Business.
0: Thank you very much, Kent. It is so inspiring and uh, personally, I learned a lot of things. Thank you. And would you like to add something?
1: Um, Yeah, well, one, I wanna thank you, but people may wanna know how to reach out to me. And uh, so again, it's Kent Gregoire. It's on, um, I am on Instagram and I'm definitely on LinkedIn, G-R-E-G-O-I-R-E, first name is Kent, Um, but just go to stakeholderbusiness.com, stakeholderbusiness.com. What's really good about stakeholder business, this has been very intentional because we saw a need in the marketplace, is there is content on there for what we call the conscious curious and it's done in a way in which it is there meant to help you. We don't want you like have to depend upon us. We want you to start this journey. We have a big big job ahead of us. We're you know trying trying to change the game of business around the world to create a world that works for everyone. We want to make sure you have what you need to get inspired and start this path. If you're already on the path, then you probably want to look at engaged or committed. Those are the words on our website. There's curious, engaged, under committed is where the stakeholder business society is and some information. And the idea there is to start to continuously layer the kinds of resources in based on where people are on their journey. We are very much a content, going to be very content heavy. Um, We've got a great team doing that content. And um, we are also in the film business. It's not just Beyond Zero. We have four more (laughs) films coming out this year. um, And all of those films are chronicles. So when you see like the Beyond Zero film, anybody who wants to see that probably should go to our website and go to Beyond Zero and fill out the form. It's the only way you're going to get access to it. It's still in pre-release that's why it's at the Cannes Film Festival right now. If it had been released, it wouldn't be there. Um, what you, what we want to be able to do with these films um, is that they are chronicle. That means they happen over a long period of time, not months, but ten, potentially years, and we continue to add to them. We want to be able to show what's working well, what didn't work well. This isn't about a trophy moment. Oh, look at me. You know, look at what we did. We're now here. We did this. We made this. No, this is about interviewing the people who actually made that happen, and the good and the ugly of it. Um, And so they're very, very powerful. One of the ones coming out is um, around ESOPs, and um, I can tell you it's one of the KKR companies. Um, All the KKR portfolio um, CEOs and senior leaders have seen Beyond Zero, and one of their portfolio companies did an ESOP and that is one of the films coming out this year. Another one is on Big B Coffee. I will tell you, that's going to be an extraordinary one. And there's going to be others with Big Bigby. Um, frankly, they always make me very excited because they're not ordinary. These are very, very rich and extraordinary. Um, yeah. And by the way, anybody who um, has any questions about any of this, again, reach out to me. I'd love to just get you pointed in the right direction or find resources for you. Um, We're not here to um, own the market. We're here to help you be successful. Again, it's Kent Gregoire, Stakeholder Business.
0: This is amazing, Kent. Your purpose and intention. I follow you very many years, and it's amazing to hear all the details. I am honored to have you today. Thank you, Kent. Thank you very much.